1: Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner.
0: Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and for business owners who wanna know what really works with social media. I am stoked about today's show. Today, we're going to explore the science behind why people share with Jonah Berger, who's the author of a brand new New York Times bestseller titled Contagious, Why Things Catch On. I'm also going to share some more tips on launching a new product or a new company. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and do that right now. Here's a word
1: from our tour guide.
0: This is the fifth installment in a series that I've been talking about over the last five weeks, which is really focused on how can you, if you're thinking about launching a new product, launching a new service, or even launching a new business, how can you do it in a way that's really going to get people excited? And the reason I'm doing this is, well, actually the example that I'm using is mykidsadventures.com, which is a brand new online magazine for families, for busy parents who want to have adventures with their kids. And the reason I'm doing this is because I want to actually peel back the covers and show you how I'm getting ready to do this launch. And my hope is that you'll find some creative inspiration for your next launch. So um, in the prior four uh, episodes, I started with talking about how it's important to set your vision. And then I talked about how to test your message to see if it resonates with people by creating a message and not putting the enormous effort into it. And then I talked about the process of recruiting people by putting out a general call to whatever following that you have. And then in the last episode, I talked about how to get people to commit to participating in the process. And in this particular case, uh, actually writing for mykidsadventures.com. And I went through that entire process. Now today, what I want to focus on is how to get people really excited just before the launch, hopefully so excited that they're going to want to help get the word out when the actual launch happens. So let me give you a little bit of backstory. We knew that when we were getting ready to launch My Kids Adventures that a sub-segment of the Social Media Examiner audience would meet our ideal criteria. They would be a working mom or a working dad or even a grandparent who has kids that are in that um, you know younger than 13 age bracket. And these folks are so busy that they don't spend enough quality time with their kids and they wanna have fun adventures with their kids anywhere, inside the house, in the backyard, or in the great outdoors. So um, what I wanted to do was to create a special list and I called it the Founders List. And the idea here was, If I sent people to socialmediaexaminer.com slash kids and on that page was the video and then at the bottom it says, get on the founders list to be the first to be notified when we have exciting news to share. My goal was to get 1,000 people on this interest list prior to launch. And the idea behind that is if you can get 1,000 people excited about what you're about to do, that's a really big deal. And hopefully it can increase the chances that when you do launch, it's kind of a big splash. Now, to be on the founders list, I knew I needed to make something special for these people. So what I did was literally in my office with my iPhone, every week I would create a little video and it would be a little behind the scenes video. Sometimes it'd be one or two minutes, sometimes it'd be five minutes, but it was just me talking to the camera about what was going on with the preparation for the launch. And they were in my office and they could see all the stacks of papers and the stuff on the planned on the whiteboard. And it just gave a really cool, um, essentially behind the scenes look of what was coming and It got a lot of people excited and a lot of people were even emailing saying, this is really cool. I'm really glad you're doing it. And I posted these videos up on YouTube, but they were unlisted, which means, you know, nobody really knew they were there unless they happened to get the email. So, um, that's the first piece of advice is to give something special to people that are on a special list. The next thing that I did was, uh, knowing that we have a newsletter and you may already have one too. We teased to the newsletter and what we said in there was something like this coming soon. My kids adventures. Are your kids growing up too fast? Are you looking for fun activities, but don't have much creative juice left? The founders of social media examiner, Are launching a new online publication, Watch This Video, My Kids Adventures. So the idea here was to um, get people to go ahead and watch the video and hopefully get on the founders list. So we were using our existing newsletter, which is over 210,000 people, and just putting this little tease out there in the news section of our newsletter. The other thing that we started doing was about a month out to a month and a half out from the launch, we put a big banner up on the homepage of social media examiner. And as a matter of fact, um, it may still be there uh, when you listen to this recording, it just kind of depends whether you're going back and listening to old episodes. But the graphical header said social media examiner presents my kids adventures, new online magazine for busy parents, click here to learn more. When they clicked on that, it just took them to the same page that, you know, in the newsletter, we took everybody to, which just simply had the video and said, get on the founders list. You know, so far, just to review, we've got, we're, we're mentioning it in the email newsletter. We're mentioning it on Social Media Examiner Proper, which is our blog. And the other thing that we're doing is mentioning it in our podcasts, but in an educational way. So uh, if you've been listening to these uh, segments about how to launch a, a product or a company, obviously I've been telling you how we're getting ready to launch My Kids Adventures. I've been talking about it kind of indirectly by talking about, how to actually launch a company. So by making My Kids Adventures the subject or the case study upon which I'm talking a little bit about each week, believe it or not, I'm actually doing some educational marketing in that process. Uh, the other stuff that um, we're working on is uh, I'm going to be writing an article about how to launch and I'm going to actually use My Kids Adventures as the case study. And I'm going to lay out all the things that we did in preparation for the launch, another piece of educational content. And by the way, Uh, I'm also going to um, start appearing on other business podcasts, not to talk about my kids adventures, but to talk about how to launch. Now, this is a key marketing part of our strategy as well, because there's a lot of creative things that we're doing in the preparation and launch of my kids adventures. But our target audience is business people. We're actually trying to target busy working parents. And of course, busy working parents are probably listening to business related podcasts So rather than trying to get on all the family podcasts, we're trying to get to this target audience and do it in such a way that we talk about how we're launching and of course, get an opportunity to talk about what my kids adventures in is. So the take home lesson here is you've got to leverage the assets that you already have access to. And that may include a podcast that may include your blog. That may include an email newsletter, whatever you've got, leverage those assets And do it in a fun and creative way that gets people excited about what's coming. The goal is to get a small group of folks, maybe it's 100, maybe it's 1,000, whatever your number is, and um, eventually that list, I will send an email to that list and say, guess what? We're launching in a week. When we launch, we'd love your help. And then when we actually do launch, we'll say, hey, we've just launched. And by the way, we'd love it if you could help get the word out. And here's a couple things that you can do. So that's hopefully some valuable insight for you in preparation for launching something new that you're planning on doing. If you wanna learn more about the My Kids Adventures project, you can visit socialmediaexaminer.com kids. Now, um, very soon we're gonna get back to our normal <laughs> operating procedure with this podcast. Um, and we're gonna take a lot of these questions that you guys have been calling in about. But I want you to know that if you haven't already, And you have a question about blogging or podcasting or social media in general, I would love to have you submit your question. You can do so by visiting socialmediaexaminer.com slash voicemail. If we like your question, I'll read it on the show. I mean, I'll actually play it on the show and then answer the question live and you'll make your way into our blog post and we'll profile you and link back to your website. So uh, with that, let's transition over to today's really incredible interview. Uh, with Jonah. And you're going to love what he has to say about why things catch on. Let's transition to that right now. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates helping you simplify your
1: social safari, here's this week's expert guide.
0: I'm very excited to be joined today by Jonah Berger. If you don't know who Jonah is, he's the author of a brand new New York Times bestseller called Contagious, Why Things Catch On. He's also a regular columnist for Business Week, and his day job is a marketing professor at the Wharton School. Jonah, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Mike.
0: So today, Jonah and I are going to explore the reasons why people widely share content and ideas. Jonah, let's step back for a second. How did you become fascinated with the reason why people engage in word of mouth, if you will?
1: I think many of us have always wondered why things go viral or why certain stories or rumors circulate around the water cooler. Um, but as, as a scientist, I thought it'd be interesting to study these sorts of, of questions my My background is actually in hard sciences, so I grew up studying math and uh, you know chemistry and computer science and material science and I thought it would be really interesting to try to apply these sort of hard science tools rigorous statistics, experimentation. To more social science problems. Uh, And and like many people about a decade ago, I read that great book, The Tipping Point. Mm. Uh, It really inspired me to think more about the area, but I realized that there wasn't a lot of research that had actually been done. Uh, And so I really spent my academic career trying to study these things and actually bottle these phenomena to understand the science behind social transmission.
0: So, well, that that perfectly lends into my next question, which is how did you come up with some of the conclusions that you talk about in Contagious? And um, maybe you can elaborate a little bit on some of these experiments that you've done. And also, why should social media marketers uh, pay attention to some of these concepts?
1: Well, I'll start with the last part first, because that's really a good question for your audience, right? What What can I actually do with this? Um, and I think that's a really key issue. Uh, many folks out there are, are doing a lot with social media. There's lots of content, uh, brands and organizations and uh, services are publishing. Some of these things do better than others, and it's not luck and it's not random. And so by understanding why people are sharing word of mouth, by understanding these these six principles that we found in our research, um, you can make it much more likely that your own posts are going to be contagious, that people are going to share them and pass them on. With others, uh, and so how we reach these conclusions, we've s- spent a decade or so doing research in this area. Uh, we've done everything from you know take online content and look at six months of New York Times articles, scraping all their data over seven thousand pieces of content. Hmm. Well, what about the content itself made people share it? We used rigorous textual analysis and and coders to code different articles based on the emotions they evoked, and so we can say things like, well, you know, you add extra anger to a piece of Content It's more likely to be shared. We've done the same thing with brands. Uh, We've looked at uh, thousands of brands, both online and offline, to understand, well, why are some getting talked about and shared more than others? Really, what are those psychological drivers of sharing? And I think why this is really key is we all know that word of mouth is effective. We all know that it's you know over ten times in, in some cases effective as as traditional advertising. People trust word of mouth more. Uh, it's more targeted than traditional advertising, and it's really cost effective. But the, if you can get it to work, right? If you can get people talking about your brand, it doesn't cost any more to get them talking, but it does require understanding why they're talking about some things rather than others. And so I wrote this book, Contagious, to help people apply these insights that we had gotten through our rigorous academic research to help their own products and ideas take off.
0: You know, Jonah, there's a lot of skeptics out there that are probably listening right now that say, well, you know, um, what makes um, video X go contagious doesn't necessarily work for video Y. It's random, and it's luck of the draw, and it's timing. Um, what do you say to this skeptic? Is that indeed true? Is there some truth to that? Or is there more there than meets the eye?
1: So... First of all, let's let's focus which is, is definitely true um, and that there is is some science here. Um that said, you know, can we perfectly predict exactly how many views a video is gonna get? No. Um you know, can we guarantee by following this formula it be the next Gangnam style? No. Uh 10, you know, a billion views, 10 million views, whatever it is. Um we don't hit a home run every time. Uh but the idea here is just like in baseball, you don't hit a home run every time. By understanding the science of hitting, you do increase your batting average. Mm. You hit more home runs, but also more singles, more doubles, and, and triples. And so we found that these concepts, these six key principles, reliably increase the word of mouth that all sorts of products and ideas get. We've applied these with a number of different companies to increase word of mouth in a given campaign from anywhere between twenty to fifty percent. Um, you know, can we guarantee ten million views? No. Can we guarantee you'll get more views, more shares by following these principles? Yes. And so. I think the key insight here is, ten million views is great, but what most people want is just ten to twenty percent more customers, right? And to do that, you need to figure out how to turn your customers into advocates. And the science of word of mouth is is going to help do that. It's going to help activate your existing customers and get them to spread that message to more potential new customers.
0: So um, you talk about six different principles in the book. Um, what I'd like to do is, if you can just give like the super mile high on what the six are, and then maybe we just pick a few and dive deep. Can you kind Perfect. of give the high level on what they are?
1: So we, we talk about six key steps or principles that drive people to talk and share. And, and again, these are really based on psychology, based on understanding the motivation or the drivers that cause us to pass things on. Uh, and we put them in a framework. It's the STEPS framework. It has two Ps because we couldn't figure out a better acronym. Uh, but that stands for social currency, triggers, emotion, public, practical value and stories. And each of these principles uh, encourages people to talk and share. And sometimes people ask, oh, well, do you need them all? Uh, and I think the, the best way to think about this is, yes, it's a recipe, right? The more of the ingredients you have, the, the better the end result will be. But it's, it's almost more like toppings on a salad. Uh, if you think about a Cobb salad where you have your eggs and your bacon and your cheese and your tomatoes, each of the toppings is good. The salad is better when all of them are there. Mm. But you can still do well even if you only have three or four uh, in, in part
0: of that recipe. So how did you come up with six? Were you, um, after doing all this research over all these years, kind of noticing that these different um, influencer categories essentially kind of started grouping together in these different categories? Are there others that maybe have yet to be discovered? I'm just curious about that.
1: You know, research is always uh, moving forward. Uh, and we, we came up with these six based on you know, a decade worth of, of research of our own and others. We would do things like you know we'd start an investigation of purely online content, so just New York Times articles. And we'd find certain drivers were causing people to share New York Times articles. And then we'd do another similar investigation with brands. Mm. And we'd find that, wow, those same things are showing up again and again. They're showing up for brands just like they were for New York Times articles. And then we'd look at YouTube videos while the same thing is is showing up there and then we'd even look at you know some data from other countries and we'd see the same principles again and again and so could there be a seventh step or an eighth step that hasn't been discovered yet certainly and i think research in this area is always moving forward but each of these six is reliably shown to increase sharing across a wide variety of domains whether we're talking about B2 C or B2b whether we're talking about a physical product or a service, whether we're talking about online versus offline um, or regardless of what type of customers you have you know older versus younger men versus women these psychological concepts have been shown to drive behavior across a host of different audiences and a host of different products and ideas
0: so let's 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 dive into um, um, social currency. can you kind of give an example of maybe a story? that people can understand about how social currency would work.
1: I think uh, a great story uh, about social currency actually may have happened to many of your listeners uh, in the past few months. So about I uh, maybe four or so months ago now, LinkedIn sent an email out to many of their users uh, that said something along the lines of, hey, user, you're one of the top 1%, 5%, or 10% of all the profiles on, on the site. Uh, and many people received this email. They felt really good that they had gotten this, that they were one of those special set of users. Um, but not only did they sort of pat themselves on the back and think they were a a good person, thousands of people actually shared these emails with others. Oh yeah. They told their friends and colleagues. They put pictures
0: of it up on Facebook and I'm like, do you realize that that means you're like one of uh, a million or something?
1: (laughs) 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 <laughs> but, but let's break that down, right? Because I think that's yeah. a, it's a perfect example of this idea. Why did people share this? So yes, they were actually one of a million or even you know, five million people. So they weren't actually that special. But notice that they felt special, right? They felt like they had some sort of status or what I'll call social currency that not everyone else has. And so just like the car we drive or the clothes we wear, what we say affects how other people see us. Mm. And so we talk about and share things that make us look good, make us look smart and in the know, like we're part of a special club or you know, we're a frequent flyer or we have some insider status. Anytime a company or brand can give us that, we'll share it because we want to have that status. But notice just as that perfect example in the LinkedIn case shows, you know, they put it up on Facebook, which is word of mouth for LinkedIn as well. Right. By talking about, oh, I'm one of these LinkedIn influencers along the way, they mention the brand and the brand gets to come along for the ride.
0: Oh, and not only that, but but, um, I saw this happen multiple times where everybody's like, "Let's just make up a fake person like Jackie. Jackie, I always knew you were great. <laughs> Congratulations, you know. <laughs> and all yeah. these people would come out of the woodwork saying, "Yeah, major accomplishment." <laughs> <laughs> so 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 what's really at play here is people want to somehow feel different, is what I hear you saying
1: there's that drive to look good, right? We don't we don't always want to be, you know, so different from everybody else, but we want to be a little bit ahead of the curve. That old idea of keeping up with the Joneses. You know, we care about how other people see us and we like to be a little bit further ahead, whether, you know, we have better frequent flyer status than our friend that travels a lot, uh whether we have a better golf score than our, our colleague at work or whether our child has a better SAT score. Right? We mention these things because it makes us look good at the end of the day. It gives us status. And so along the way, we often talk about the products and brands and ideas. That give us that status. Uh, you know, in the book, I talk about examples of everything from a hidden bar. There's actually a great bar in New York that's hidden inside a hot dog restaurant, <laughs> and people love to talk about it because it's a secret. The mere fact that not everyone else makes knows about it makes them look really cool to know about it. Or I even talk about in the book uh, an example of McDonald's sandwich called the McRib, which actually applied this really cleverly to get people to talk about a sandwich on the McDonald's menu. So you know, the exact ways they apply this are a little bit different, but the concepts is. The same.
0: Well, let's talk through this a little bit. So what what's a practical piece of advice for a marketer listening right now that might want to employ social currency? What should they be thinking about or what should they be possibly considering?
1: So I talk about three or four uh, ways to apply this in the book, but I'll, I'll talk about a couple here. One key way is, is to make people feel like insiders, hmm. feel like they're part of a special club or have some status or level or or stuff that not everybody has. Uh, so take Gmail, for example. When Gmail first came out, uh, you know they gave only addresses to people that knew someone who worked at Google. And you had to sort of be connected to some sort of source to get access to it. Hmm. And it made everybody feel really cool and special to have that email, and and everybody really clamored for it. Just like now, we've seen with Google Glass, same sort of thing, right? You had to have an application and applied it to get this potential new product. And and you may not have the next Google Glass or the next Gmail.
0: Google um, Plus did the same thing, right? I mean, everybody was clamoring <laughs> in to get into Google Plus in the beginning.
1: There, you know, I uh, with me, this happened the same way. There's a product called Google Wave. I don't know if you remember. Oh yeah, Google I remember Wave. that too. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a friend who worked at Google, and he said, hey, we've got this new thing called Google Wave. You know, I, I have access to it. Do you want access to it? And I said, I don't even know what this is, but I definitely, right? If, if not everybody can have access to it, I want access to it because it makes me feel special and, and smart. And so I think there, there are lots of ways to do that, everything from, you know, restaurants that have, you uh, early openings, right? They open a a week early for everybody in the neighborhood, Uh, the soft openings for people to come check out, Mm. whether it's a a movie premiere, whether it's sending out free samples, whether it's, you know, letting people give you beta feedback on a a new version of your product. All of these things make people feel special, limited edition goods, um, you know, access to information before everyone else has it. And so by making people feel like insiders, it gets them to talk and share.
0: Do you think that um, in the case of Google, and others, the idea that you've been selected or given the opportunity to be an insider, and now I'm giving you three tickets that you can give away to your friends. Is, is there something there to that, you know, to allow kind of an underground, like, hey, I got in, do you want to get in too kind of thing? Is that part of this?
1: Definitely. There's some, some nice work in uh, marketing on what they call the entourage effect. Where the idea is, hey, we don't just like being a VIP by ourselves. We like being a VIP that gets to bring in other people to the VIP room. Right. Um, and so, you know, status is better when other people know that you have it. Right. Uh, if you if you're a VIP but you don't get to share that with anyone else, it's not very exciting. You don't see people buying bottle service at a club. Sitting there by themselves in a separate room, they want to sit, have bottle service where everyone can see them, and they can bring their friends with them. And so, giving people, you know, a couple extra passes or a couple extra invites makes people feel really special. But notice, you're actually getting them to do the marketing for you. It's brilliant. Right? Rather than you having to find new customers, you get them to do the targeting for you.
0: It's brilliant. That's, that's really, really powerful. And it's like, wow. You know, when people listen to this, they're like, wow, light bulbs are going off in everybody's heads right now. Like, wow, that's really creative. Now let's talk about triggers. Um, What is a trigger and why, why does, why do marketers need to understand this?
1: Social currency, what the, the, the idea we just talked about is sort of a sexy, fun topic, right? Making people feel in the know or like they're insiders. That seems sort of cool and interesting. Triggers is much more boring, but equally, if not more, important. Uh, and an example here that I really like, do you remember uh, Rebecca Black and her song Friday a few years ago? Yes,
0: I remember hearing about it. Yeah.
1: So this song was one of the most viral videos of 2011, had over 300 million views, yet everyone says they hate the song. Uh, it was made by a 16-year-old girl. Her parents paid $4,000 to this company to come up with a hit for her. The company comes up with an overproduced number about you know waking up in the morning, going to school, and dealing with those big teenage dilemmas like whether to sit in the front seat or the back seat of your friend's car. Uh, hefty stuff. Everybody pans it. It's sort of auto-tuned. It's terrible. People don't like it. But it got 300 million views, so what is it doing right? There's got to be something there, right? So uh, I actually went and I looked, uh, dug a little deeper, looked into the data, and I looked for the number of searches that the phrase Rebecca Black received over time on YouTube. So oh. you can do this online. Uh, and what you see is a spike in attention, and then it goes flat, and then another spike in attention, and then it goes flat, and then another spike, and so on. And if you look closer, what you see is that the spikes aren't random. They're actually every seven days. Hmm. And if you look even closer, you'll notice that not seven days are random. It's every single Friday which is the same name as Rebecca Black's song. So that song is equally bad every day of the week, right? It's bad on Monday, bad on Tuesday, bad on Wednesday, bad on Thursday, equally bad on Friday. But Friday provides a ready reminder, what psychologists would essentially call a trigger, to trigger us to think about that song and then watch it and share it with others. And so the idea here is if something is top of mind, it's going to be tip of tongue. The more we're thinking about something, the more it's cued by the environment, triggered to make us think about it, the more likely we're going to be to share
0: it. So so the idea of a trigger is an environmental trigger, or are there other kinds of triggers as well?
1: Exactly. You can think of it as, as sights, sounds, smells, anything around you that makes you think about something else. Hmm. So if I said peanut butter and, for example, you might say…
0: Uh, jelly. I was going to try to get creative, but I couldn't.
1: (laughs) No, but that's exactly right. Almost everybody, if you said peanut butter and almost everybody would say jelly, at least in the United States. And what's neat about that is, is like peanut butter is a little advertisement for jelly. Every time peanut butter shows up, you start thinking about jelly, even if you don't mean to. Mm. Um, Same thing happens with sounds. So researchers have looked at what happens in the grocery store when, let's say, a grocery store plays French music. And they find, well, if they play French music in the grocery store, people buy more French wine. And if they play more German music in the grocery store, people buy more German wine.
0: Huh, and, and the sausages. idea is
1: that those sounds, just like peanut butter triggers us to think of jelly, that sound of music triggers us to think about that country and makes us more like to purchase related things. And so it can be sounds, sights, smells, anything in our environment, our surrounding world that activates something else
0: in our mind. Wow. Um, so how do marketers, um, first of all, understand what the triggers are uh, for their respective industries?
1: So I think the key is to make your own triggers, mm. to actually to think about how to link your product to the right cues in the environment. So the first thing to do is consider the context, right? Who are your customers and what are their environments? Uh, you know, I'm actually, I live in Philadelphia now, uh, and Philadelphia is known for, well, the cheesesteak. Uh, and a, a few years ago, actually, and this is one example I, I share in the book, actually the opening example, a restaurant, a steakhouse there was trying to figure out how to cut through the clutter. Right. There are thousands of restaurants in any city, You know, dozens of high-end steakhouses. How could they make themselves known? And so rather than just coming out with a regular high-end steak, they came out with a $100 cheesesteak. Right. And if you're wondering well, how a cheesesteak is worth $100, it has lobster, it has truffles, it comes with a bottle of champagne, it's made of Kobe beef, very luxurious high-end cheesesteak. But it's not only a, a luxurious product, it also got a lot of word of mouth. And part of the reason is that people in Philly are triggered to think about cheesesteaks a lot. Anytime someone comes and visits you, they ask you, oh, you know, which cheesesteak place should I go check out? There are cheesesteak places around different corners throughout the city. And so you're frequently triggered to think about cheesesteaks, which might cause you to remember that story of the $100 cheesesteak and share it with others. And indeed, that restaurant has stuck around now for for over a decade since it originally came out, in part because the story of that $100 cheesesteak helped it succeed. And so the first idea is really to think about that context. Where do your consumers live? Who are they? the things in their environment? And how can you link your product or idea to, to one of those things that, that will make them think about you?
0: Do you think in the case of the $100 cheesesteak um, that the, the, the folks that founded this understood that they were leveraging a trigger? Or do you think that they were thinking about just a creative marketing idea and then they realized, whoa, every time someone thinks about a cheesesteak, they're going to be talking about this. I'm just curious what your thoughts are.
1: You know, I, I talked to the guy who uh, howard wine who who started this campaign, and I think he had some sense of the idea he, he definitely wanted to do something different that would uh, act as a sort of ambassador for the brand right. that would carry the idea of oh we 're a high end steakhouse, but we 're not like the rest of them right. um, but there's another great example I share in the book where someone clearly knew this was going on and, and that happened with Kit Kat and coffee so uh, a few years ago, KitKat sales were way down they needed to find something to come on back. So they actually came out with a campaign, very simple: Kit Kat and coffee. Uh, thinking about having a coffee break, think about having a Kit Kat. Uh, huh. You know, think about coffee, think about Kit Kat. And and I talked to the brand manager, and she was thinking exactly that. We want people to think about Kit Kat when they have coffee. And the reason they pick coffee is that coffee is a really prevalent trigger. It doesn't just come up once; it comes up multiple times a day, multiple days of the week. It's almost like Rebecca Black, for example. You know, she came out with a song called Friday rather than a song called Leap Day. And Leap Day might have been an equally good song, but it wouldn't have been triggered as frequently because Leap Day doesn't come around very often. And so that second key is not only thinking about the context, but linking your product to a frequent trigger in the environment.
0: Well, it makes a lot of sense, especially those people that are in corporate America that might have a vending machine next to the coffee machine, right? And in there happens to be a Kit Kat.
1: (laughs) Right. And then you can consume them together.
0: Exactly. That's awesome. Um, I don't know. I hope people that are listening right now are thinking, wow, these are crazy. So um, let's talk about stories. Um, stories, I think, are so powerful. First of all, can you explain why in the world people are drawn in by stories?
1: I think stories are the currency of conversation. Uh, no one wants to be a walking advertisement or just you know share a random piece of information. But stories provide a way to convey information in a narrative form that makes everyone lean in because they want to find out how the story ends. Mm. Um, We're used to thinking in terms of stories, not just chunks of information. uh, And they become a way that we tell anything, whether it's what we did last weekend, how a project is going. It's just sort of a standard way of, of communicating.
0: So so talk about stories as a um contagious element um what is it about stories that marketers need to be thinking about
1: The key insight I think uh in in the book Contagious about stories is not just about crafting a good story and that's really key you got to have a good narrative But it's a certain type of story, and that's what I'll call a Trojan horse story. Uh, We all know that famous story of the Trojan horse where the Greeks hide inside uh, and the Trojans wheel the horse into their city and the Greeks crawl out and they win. Uh, And that's an engaging narrative. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. But it also has a moral. Uh, The moral of that story is beware of Greeks bearing gifts or beware of your enemies, particularly when they're being nice to you. And if you notice, actually most good stories have a moral. So The Boy Who Cried Wolf is about not lying, or uh, you know, Three Little Pigs uh, is about uh, working hard and hard work will pay off. And what you realize, particularly if you have kids, is that you know, sure, the morals could stand by themselves, no one would listen to just the moral by itself. Right? The story almost makes the moral more engaging. You want to find out how the story is going to end, so you stick around for the punchline, and you remember the moral because it's an integral detail. And so the key there is, is to think about how can you build a story that acts as a vessel, a carrier for, for your brand or your message. Um, are you familiar with the, the video series, Will It Blend?,
0: Oh totally, yeah. We have one of them. We have one of those things in our house, the Blendtec.
1: <laughs> so you know, Will it Blend makes uh, Blendtec makes great blenders. They have this series of videos for your listeners who aren't familiar with it called Will it Blend, where they blend everything from an iPhone to marbles to. They even try to blend, I think, a crowbar. Really engaging videos. You know, the set of videos has over 150 million views. Uh, each video sometimes has over 10 million views. They're really amazing to watch. Who would have thought that an iPhone could you know get blended in a blender? It must be a really amazing blender. Uh, but if you notice while you watch those videos, yeah, they're really engaging, yeah, you feel you have to share them with others because they're remarkable, they have that social currency, but they also carry the message of the brand. It's challenging not to talk about that video without letting people know that they make a really tough blender. Notice that you'll never say, wow, Tech makes a really tough blender, but you will say their blender can tear through an iPhone. And along the way, the listener goes, wow, that must be a really tough blender. And so that's a Trojan horse story. It's not uh, getting people to share product information or getting them to be a walking advertisement. It's giving them engaging content, but content that carries the brand or the message of the brand along for the ride.
0: So is the story the actual video itself or is the story those talking about the video? I'm just curious.
1: I, I think it's it's both, right? I mean, it's it's the the video itself carries the message, but then think about it. Anytime someone talks about the video. And if you think about how we tell stories, you know, we don't tell all the details, right? I didn't tell you what color iPhone gets caught up in the blender. I didn't tell you which button they push to blend it. Um, but I did tell you the blender cuts the iPhone to shreds. That's really the essence of the story. If I didn't say that, there would be no story. Right. And so what you want to make sure is your brand, your message, your idea is that integral detail that someone can't help but pass along. Uh, when I give talks, I always show a video clip from this uh, company, they're an Egyptian company, uh, called Panda and they make cheese. And they have these great videos. I, I really suggest your listeners check them out, um, called Panda Cheese. Uh, great videos about this guy in a panda suit who, you know, is is beating up people or, you know, tipping over grocery carts or basically getting people to buy panda cheese. Never say no to panda is the tagline. Uh-huh. And they're really hilarious videos, but the best part is that you can't not talk about a panda. It's just an integral detail. You can't tell that story without mentioning the name of the brand. And so that's the the key idea here. Don't just build a good piece of content; build a content piece that carries you for the ride.
0: What are your thoughts about the use of story? Also, um, you know, there's certain mediums like video and and podcasting in particular where people can kind of share um, their backstories. I'm just curious if that's part of what is involved here because sometimes humanizing the brand sharing the story of the founders, um, or sharing what went into, for example, the creation of the movie. These kinds of stories, like like my daughter is recently getting into Star Wars, but she is almost more of a fan of the how they made it portion of the video than the actual movies themselves because she just Uh, loves the backstory. Is this part of what's involved as well?
1: I think... Any good story can work here, right? It can be the story of how the movie was made. It can be the story that's within the movie. Uh, we all remember the Blair Witch Project that had that story about, well, is this real or not? And then right. there was a secondary story. I heard they made this for only you know, $30,000. Is, is that true? I think the key thing is, is not exactly what the story is, but the fact that it's a memorable story. That people will share and that will carry your message along along with it, so you know if, if you 're a brand or you're a company and you 're trying to figure out well what 's the right story to use, think about well what story do people remember already or what story are people telling uh, you know when they interact with your brand when they talk to a customer service representative, or if you 're a small business when people use the product. What do they naturally tell others about that thing? And how can you sort of pump up that story in a way that one will be engaging, that will have the six key steps we've talked about here, but also carry the brand or the, the benefit for the ride?
0: What's your thoughts about teasers and or cliffhangers? Um, occasionally in traditional marketing, we'll see a really cool video and it, will, and it won't quite be done with the story and it'll say, to be continued, go here. Or... um if you think about some of the more popular TV shows of all time, like Lost, it was they always would end the show with the beginning of something new that was like, oh, and then boom, they'd make you wait till next week. Is there any kind of psychology going on there that a marketer should pay attention to?
1: I mean, d- definitely imagine that in this interview, I said, you know, there are seven key steps. And I'm going to tell you about six of them today, but I'm not going to tell you about the seventh most important step. That's a secret one, and you have to go to my website and put in this special code to find out what that step is all your listeners would be going, oh man, I want to know what the seventh step is. Right. Um, and because what these things do is they, they point out a gap in our knowledge. Uh, they show us that we know something, but not everything. And so they make us want to find out the rest of that information. As soon as we don't know something, you know, uh, sometimes I, I write content where I say, you know, here are the six secret steps to word of mouth. And merely calling them a secret makes them seem better. Because it goes, wow, I, I wonder what those are. Um, and that's what Lost and many of these good narratives do they make us tune in for the rest? Uh, it's almost like watching three quarters of a basketball game. Yeah, that's not enough, right? You want to watch the fourth quarter to find out
0: who. Yeah, or the power goes out in the final minutes of uh, important uh, sporting event, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> so, um, okay, well, we're going to do a little cliffhanger right here. We've only mentioned three social currency triggers and stories and dived into them. But there's also um, the public and the emotion and the practical value. And I want folks to go and get your book to learn more about that. So um, the first question I've got for you is where can they find your book?
1: So the best place to to find me and the book is just my website, which is jonah, J-O-N-A-H, Burger b-e-r-g-e-r.com. Uh, there's lots of links to the book there. You can also find the book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or any place where, where books are sold. Uh, but if you go to the website, there's also a resources tab that has a bunch of, of free resources to help people apply these ideas. So there's a workbook. If you're a small business and you're trying to figure out, okay, I read the book. I've got the steps. How do I make them work for me? Uh, the workbook is a, a nice sort of add-on to help you and your team sit down. You can print it out, work through it. It's got some some blanks to, to fill out answers to questions and help you think through each of these principles and how you can make them work for you. Uh, there's also a downloadable one pager for your for your office and, and all sorts of different content to help people apply these ideas.
0: Well folks, I hope you um, have been listening to what Joan has been talking about because I really do feel that most marketers are not thinking about um, things that they can do to increase the likelihood that people will want to share their their content, their ideas, their products and services. And I believe that investing some time into learning these principles that Jonah's talking about really can pay off in spades. And I mean, I don't know how much your book is. I'm guessing it's under $30, right, Jonah?
1: It is. If you go on Amazon right now, I think it's something like 15 to 18. Yeah.
0: So um, the, the trick is to go from listening to doing, <laughs> <laughs> which is the magic thing that none of us, I mean, what's the social trigger for that, Jonah? <laughs> how do you get people to go from listening to a great idea and acting on it?
1: I mean, I, I think this is a great way to, to think about it. Think about your business, whatever business that is, and think about how you get new customers. And if you ask some of your new customers when they come in, how they heard about you, how they found out about you, you'll be amazed to see how many of them come in through word of mouth. And so the question is, how does to turn that dial up a little bit more? How to get each of those customers, imagine if each of your customers told just one more potential customer about you, how big your business would get based on just that one extra incidence of word of mouth. And it's not luck and it's not chance. By following these principles, you can get your existing customers to talk more and bring in those new customers and and grow your business along the way.
0: Jonah Berger, author of the New York Times bestseller, Contagious, Why Things Catch On. Thank you so much for sharing a lot of your insight with us today. And I know a lot of folks are really going to probably go back and listen to this again and again. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Well, I hope you got a lot out of that interview. Definitely be sure to check out Jonah's new book, Contagious. Also, if there was anything that you heard during this podcast that you missed, you can get the show notes at socialmediaexaminer.com slash uh, 48. You can also leave any comments or questions there, and I'll be happy to uh, answer them for you. Also, just want to um, ask you that if you've been listening to this podcast for a while and you found value in it, I would love it if you would consider going over to socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes, all lowercase. Uh, that'll give you a link to our show on iTunes. and. I'd love it if you'd be willing to write a quick review or at least give us a star rating. That helps us um, get discovered by more people in the iTunes community and helps us grow. Well, this does bring us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Stelzner. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world.
1: The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.